Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I think there's finger pointing to be going both ways. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right. Not enough football today, right? Let's roll up our sleeves and put our, put our arms in the mashed potatoes right now. Because it is football season as well as baseball season. And the Vikings are training at camp in Egan. And Matthew Collar is writing about these football things at 1500ESPN.com. Uh, Purple Podcast. There's a feature right now on the website. Randy Moss going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. We want to ask you about this. So you track down... This is great. So that that play that Vikings fans remember from, whatever, like 15 years ago, it was right before halftime against the Broncos at the Metrodome, and Dante Culpepper throws a Hail Mary. Randy Moss catches it, and then laterals to, I believe, Mo Williams, who walks into the end zone for a touchdown. It was like a 50-yard hook and ladder, and Randy, it was all improv. They practiced it once in a while, just kind of goofing around, but you caught up with one of the Broncos defenders who was standing out there watching this happen, Matthew. Well, yes, I caught up with Nick Ferguson, who actually did his job on the play. He was tackling Randy Moss, but several of his teammates, they kind of stopped on the play, and Nick Ferguson is still really mad about that. And that was part of uh, what I wrote about, is that uh, Nick Ferguson will be sitting at home watching the Hall of Fame ceremony, watching himself inevitably (laughs) be shown during the lateral play, and he still blames his couple of teammates who stood there as Mo Williams walked by with the ball. But it was really great to listen to him break down what it was like to go up against Randy Moss, because Moss didn't just make that play on that day. He also had uh, about 150 yards receiving, and that play uh, basically slingshotted the Vikings to a win. The, the Broncos went into the locker room and were just stunned and never really recovered after that. And, and there's, I think there are some people who would vote that as Randy Moss's best ever play because it just goes completely off script and it really shows you that Moss could do just about anything out there. So what, what surprised you as you talked to the, uh, the individuals who were involved, Collar, in that play, what surprised you most to find out about how that unfolded? Well, I think the the first thing was that Mo Williams told me they had practiced it. So that was interesting, too, that they had even thought in practice, like, hey, maybe we could pull this off at some point. And then uh, what Nick Ferguson said was when he was bringing Randy down, he noticed, and this just tells you how crazy good football players are with this stuff, that he noticed Randy's helmet move in a direction that it normally wouldn't move if you were just being tackled. Like, why would his helmet go back toward the line of scrimmage? 
and that was when he realized what was about to happen. So he kind of had this flash right before it happened. Like, why is he looking back toward the line of scrimmage? And then he just heard the noise. He didn't really see Mo Williams so much as he heard the noise and everybody go crazy. And then his exact quote was, oh, no, because he knew exactly what was going to happen after that, that it was going to get shown over and over and over and over, and uh, it has. Okay, there, there is an interesting piece of this article I want you to elaborate on for the audience. Uh, Nick Ferguson with the Broncos sort of opening up the curtain for what defenses would look for in their game planning against Randy Moss. And I thought, I mean, he basically confirmed Randy Moss plays when he wants to play. And, uh, and, and it's pretty obvious when he's coming off the line of scrimmage whether he's involved or not, right? Yeah, that, that was definitely one of the interesting things is that they would tell each other, watch for his elbows and knees. Because if his elbows and knees are flying, he's definitely getting the ball. And if they're not, then he's not getting the ball. But the best part was that Nick said it just didn't matter. Like They would know everything he was going to do. They knew the routes he was going to run. They knew how they were going to throw it up to him, and it just didn't matter. And the way that he described it was so cool. That and I mean, we're talking about an NFL safety who played 10 years in the league. He said that there was a jump ball to Randy, and he and another cornerback both went up at the same time, and they reached the peak of their jump, and Moss just kept going and going and rose up over them. So, they, I mean, they – it just he said every time that they would talk about it, what they were going to do against him, it would be like, okay, we're going to put a safety over the top, and we're going to try to bracket <laughs> him, and we're going to do all this stuff, and none of it mattered because he was just that good. You had no shot, basically. Uh, after what you saw uh, take place at practice on Tuesday in Egan, sir, how much? Where does your concern now stand for an offensive line that had its uh, starting right guard? limp off the field, and then uh, I'm told it was seen in a walking boot. That is, that's probably not a good start when you're already concerned about the right side of the offensive line. You, by the way, just buzzkilled a great Randy Moss conversation for offensive line alert. I gotta get the meat and potatoes. Alert. I gotta get into the good meat God. and potatoes. Mike Remmers was in a walking boot. Okay. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> level of concern uh, about Mike Remmers in the right side of the offensive line, it was already like an 8 out of 10 because they're starting Rashad Hill at right tackle and then Hill hasn't gotten off to a great start here in camp because he's been sick and then Remmers never played guard before I mean I, I mean pro football focus ranked their offensive line 28th in the NFL preseason ranking not last year's but like preseason ranking 28th so you're it, it should be extreme concern to begin with and then now if Mike Rembers has to miss any significant time because of this injury, which Mike Zimmer would not elaborate on in the slightest. It almost seemed to take joy in not elaborating on it. Um, but uh, it's like, hey, Mike, I just wrote an article about how honest you are. But, um, you know, that never goes for injuries with any of his head coaches. So nope. we, don't, we don't know when he's going to be back. But if you're talking about Tom Compton or Danny Isadora – and you're talking about Brian O'Neill having to get in there. Uh, I think that you're in a lot of trouble on the right side of that offensive line if Mike Remmers isn't okay. Yeah. If you have a follow-up offensive line question, no, I, I, think there, I, have I, Randy I think there was concern there, and 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 we didn't know much. And I was just curious if had more information had surfaced. And no, now we fine, know. It's fine. No, it's fine. Now we know no. the news of the day. Okay, go back to your Moscow. Okay, questions. I have a, a Moscow. Okay, go get back. Okay, to your if you had one one game, I don't forget about the career debate. 
one game only. It's the Super Bowl, and you get either one of these guys in their prime, and you can only choose Jerry Rice or Randy Moss. For one game only, who do you choose? I think it's going to be Randy Moss because I think he can win the game by himself. And that is no slight to Jerry Rice, who was one of my favorite players growing up. And I think the the best pure route runner that ever lived and had incredible hands and uh, reinvented the slot position. I mean, just everything about Jerry Rice is incredible. But with Randy Moss, it wouldn't matter who was playing quarterback. I mean, you could have anybody at your quarterback that was an NFL player who could throw it up, and Randy Moss would go make them look brilliant. And especially if it was in the biggest game where Randy was going to play all the time. And, you know, it was kind of interesting when when I was uh, talking with Mo Williams because it was kind of the opposite from, you know, Nick Ferguson, who's playing against him, said, yeah, he doesn't run hard on every route, and that's how we know when he's really going. But Mo Williams said, you guys don't understand how hard Randy Moss actually worked and how competitive he was and how many times he laid a block for somebody that you couldn't see on TV that we knew about in the film room and things like that. So there is a different perception of Randy Moss and how hard he worked on the outside from what there was from his teammates. And I've always found that to be kind of interesting, and and Mo Williams confirmed that. So, uh, But the answer to your question, the most dominant receiver of all time is Randy Moss. If Moss was drafted today, uh, and came in in the league twenty years after he did collar. Do you think that he's still great? So don't get me wrong there. But do you think that he is as impactful as he was in '98, or are defenses and schemes and players uh, progressed to the point now where his impact wouldn't be as much because everything else is improved? You know. I mean, he was still so dominant not that long ago. I mean, even when he's playing for the Patriots, he's running by people still at that point in his career. And I don't think that the league has changed so much since then that they would all of a sudden have an answer. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the Michael Jordan conversation of, like, what would he do in today's game? Uh, The answer is, I mean, maybe he wouldn't be – quite to the same level, but then again, quarterbacks are better than they were, right? I mean, this guy starts his career with Randall Cunningham coming out of nowhere. So I I think there would be a balance, but the one thing about Randy Moss that would for sure dominate the game is he he could run routes. I mean, this wasn't just a guy who was running by everyone and jumping up. There's been a lot of fast tall guys who are not great in the NFL and I think no matter what era you put him in, I think if we shot forward 100 years and look at the NFL, uh, if it still exists, then you could put Randy Moss in, and I, I think he was that good. Yeah, uh, Matthew Collar, 1500ESPN.com, Purple Podcast. What was the reaction at the practice facility among players and coaches to the Stefan Diggs extension? I mean, I think that everybody has just seen a guy who has worked extremely, extremely hard to be where he is, that nothing was handed to him from the very beginning. He was a Mr. Mankato. I mean, he's a fifth-round pick who was inactive for the first three games of his career and and really had to take all the coaching that was there for him, who had to you know, stay uh, alert in every meeting, which is what Kirk Cousins brought up that he noticed about Diggs is that he's dialed in, you know, at nine o'clock at night when they're doing their final finishing touches. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I buy into that, you know, just the, having to uh, be able to talk to Stefan from time to time and, and see how intelligent he is and how hard he works. I, I think that everybody looks at that and says, if there was a deserving player 
to land a big contract over what he's done uh, for how hard he's worked, it would be this guy. Yeah. Explain to me the what you sent me a note uh, this morning about the subtweeting that's going on out of Washington regarding one Kirk Cousins. Well, there has been a lot of, I guess, conversation where it could pertain or could not pertain, you know, comments that get made. Sure out of Washington, but this one from uh, DJ Swearinger, I mean, this does name Kirk Cousins where he said that uh, he he mentioned Kirk Cousins was going through the contract situation and uh, Alex Smith is basically a better leader and has more command of the offense than Kirk Cousins did. And I, I do find it pretty interesting that there have been some comments from quite a few people that you could read into that, like, you know, where Jay Gruden said, well, that Alex Smith, he's really accountable, which is kind of an odd thing to say in minicamp, right? Yes. But, uh, you know, now it's a, it's a teammate directly naming Kirk Cousins and saying he wasn't really in control of, of the offense, which, I mean, th- this is kind of part of the criticism of Cousins and the questions about Cousins is just how he will fit in here as a leader, how he fit in there. And we don't really know yet until we start seeing – things happening, but this is the second teammate who has mentioned something directly about Cousins because uh, D'Angelo Hall had pretty much the same Hmm. thing to say where he felt like Cousins wasn't fully dialed into the team because of his contract situation. So uh, clearly some some bad blood, and I think that if you read into some Cousins comments too, there's a lot of things that are layered with little jabs at at, uh, at that uh, old franchise too. See, I'm I'm, I'm conflicted here because – I feel like in general, Washington is a d- dumpster fire franchise. It's not like Browns level, but they can't get out of their own way for the most part. And I'm I'm trying to balance that with logic and reality that, yeah, Kirk Cousins does have flaws. How much of it is because of Washington's organization? Um, I guess we're not going to know until he starts playing for what we think is a stable organization with a lot of good pieces in Minnesota. Yeah, it's very clear that the Minnesota Vikings have one of the best cultures in the league, and I know it's overused uh, a lot in the NFL, but this is this is tangible. You can really show it by Daniil Hunter, Stephon Diggs, Eric Hendricks, these guys wanting to sign up to stay here long-term and even going back to other star players like Everson Griffin and Linball Joseph. I mean, you can bet if they didn't want to stay here that they would be good as gone, and yet – they have decided because uh, they have the great facilities, they have a stable coach, a stable front office that's made a lot of good decisions, and, and maybe that situation is just better for Cousins to drop into, and he can kind of be like uh, you know a kid changing schools or when you go off to college or something and nobody knows you, so they don't think the same things that they thought about you uh, from your high school, but... At the same time, you know, there, there are things that you wonder about with his personality that if, he, if he's going to be able to be that leader when they hit the bumps in the road or if there will be guys who get thrown under the bus or, or things like that. But this team is so talented that I, I think that helps a lot where, you know, he, he's not going to be able to say, well, it was the defense's fault. You know, I mean, because in this case, it probably won't be because they still have such a talented defense. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's, it's going to be a storyline as we go along. I mean, if you look at the comments by Vikings players about Cousins, there are no layered shots at Case Keenum, and there certainly could be. They could be out there saying, huh, nice to have a guy who can actually wing it down the field, huh? But <laughs> that isn't what – I haven't heard any of that. So I'm trying there's to... no shots at – 
oh, Bradford I, or Keenum or Bridgewater, you know? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to envision, like you said, you know, if they go through adversity, what kind of a leader will he be? I'm envisioning them starting 0-3, and he's like posting grill photos on Instagram with really white teeth. <laughs> like mystery meat mystery on the meow. grill. You don't know what the meat is? It's a great day to be grilling here on a Monday off day. Like, they're 0-5. <laughs> Thanks, Yeah, Kirk. well, the, it's probably uh, scheduled by his social media team, I would guess, because sometimes he sends out tweets while he's uh, out there on the practice field. It's a, little, it's a little strange. But, you know, that, and that's another interesting part about Cousins, too, is that, you know, he's a guy who will stand up there and tell you all day long that he doesn't read anything, and then he responds to a tweet about him grilling weird stuff. So it's like, okay, well... You know, this, he is paying attention to things, so I'm sure he's seeing what's being said in D.C., and I thought that he layered in a few jabs yesterday when he was talking about Stephon Diggs and talking about how Mac Brown didn't play enough. I mean, it's like, okay, we need to get – we're already too far into camp here. We need to get to the season if, uh, if this is what's going on. But yeah. Yeah, it, is, it is something that is really interesting that his former teammates are taking some uh, little pokes at him. Yeah. Thank you, Collar. Bye, Matthew. Thanks, fellas. All right, Matthew Collar, 1500ESPN.com, and the Purple Podcast, where you can find Check out that Moss story. All of his stuff, yes. Um, and it is a little concerning that your highest paid offensive lineman is in a walking boot right now. I will grant you that. Definitely. He's is. not your highest paid, right? Reef is, right? Reef is, uh, I'm pretty sure. Is Reef. Reef's your left tackle. He, no, I know. He, well, I, I he's know your that. highest paid. <laughs> Thanks. And God. your right guard's not. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying. Does, he's not. But it's just concerning. The, they have pretty comparable contracts, don't they? There's more guarantees for Reef. Either way, it's concerning. Remember, the right side to, of your line's not practicing right now. It is. The season is uh, a month away, that. and hopefully he can, hopefully he can recover. Um, but my guess is because it's the Vikings, they're going to go in with like four offensive linemen injured, and that's classic standard Vikings. All right, Mackie and Judd, Dan Hayes on Twins in about twelve minutes. Let's talk about Luther Brookdale Cheddar for a second. First, though, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard, where you can find all kinds of great lease specials. So the last seven years or so, I've been on leasing plans from a 2011 Camry, and then it was a 2014 Corolla, and I'm into a 2016 Corolla. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to next summer when I get to get into a 19 model. And they're going to start making rooms, uh, room for the 2019 models shortly here. Uh, which means great deals on 2018s. For instance, you can lease for, let me see here. Uh, they've got RAV4s for just 20, no, 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 no money down at signing. None at all. $329 a month. A brand new 2018 RAV4, 36-month lease. That's one of the best SUVs in the world. Spaciousness. It handles like a Camry or a Corolla. Go see my friends on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Mackie and Judd are back. Please, continue. On 1500 ESPN. The final 3M championship is happening this week at TPC Twin Cities. Come out for this free Champions Tour event and watch the legends of golf. Plus, catch a uh, 1500 ESPN broadcasting from the Expo tent Friday through uh, Sunday. More details are at 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. Thank you, James. We'll talk to Dan Hayes about the Twins' moves at the deadline, project going forward in about 10 minutes. I got the quote here, though, from Redskins defensive back DJ Swearinger, mm-hmm. the collar reference. I'll just read it. He said, Alex Smith, this is verbatim from a Redskins defensive back. Alex Smith has more command of the offense for sure. He's definitely a leader that we lacked last year, regardless of whatever reason. 
Kirk was going through a contract situation. Alex has the contract now. He is the leader for this team. But you definitely see the difference in the command of the offense and where he goes with the ball. So in those three sentences, you know what? If you gave me a choice, Alex Smith for this year, next year, or Kirk Cousins, I would rather have Alex Smith for this year, next year. I don't, so I don't disagree with that. We aspect. talked about the last last season. Yep. Yeah, that was at, at that was pretty our much all Super Bowl radio row. You and I were the Alex trumpeting Smith Alex idea. Smith. Yes. So I don't even really disagree with that. But your thoughts on him basically saying, "Yeah, Kirk Cousins was a space cadet leader. Maybe it was his contract." and uh, not nearly as commanding or accurate in the offense as Alex Smith. Uh, I'm curious to see if that's true. My, my initial reaction right now with him saying that is it makes sense to say it. I mean, he's got, he's, they've got a new quarterback who comes in and, and who I think is good. Yeah. And so I, it's a big grain of salt thing to me, which is, okay, if this turns out to be true, I'm curious. But you know what? Training camp goes for a really long time, and writers are looking for stories constantly. And when you change quarterbacks, one of the of the main storylines is is Keenum to Cousins now here, and so you're always going and talking to guys. And in keep in mind too, we're at the point where there's 90 guys on the roster in camp, and some of them are going to say things that probably uh, f- former teammates don't like. Uh, so it's interesting. It's a good storyline, and I don't put a lot of stock in it. Okay, but here, here's another one. This is from OTAs. This is from a, a couple months ago. Former Redskin and current team analyst Chris Cooley's tight end, attended Redskins OTAs this week and passed along what some of Washington's players supposedly had to say about new quarterback Alex Smith. Cooley indicated that the sentiment was something to the effect of, this is what an NFL quarterback acts like. Uh, This is the tweet from Burgundy Blog. What Cooley is hearing about Alex Smith from New Redskins teammates, quote, a lot of the good things are like, oh, my God, this is what an NFL quarterback acts like. Like, are are there examples of what Alex Smith is doing that Cousins did? did? I'm I'm not even defending Cousins. I've just seen this before. Well, Cousins comes off as kind of a weird guy. He's a corporate quarterback. He's a corporate quarterback. He's got a corporate team that does his his. Twitter account. Yeah. He's uh he he's very for the most part seems to be very polished. But it's one thing to be that to the public. Yeah. If you're, if you're well, not yeah, connecting then, with your teammates. Sure, that could be a problem. I guess absolutely. It's not like it's I don't know, it's not like he signed and it's like, oh, this is a this is Aaron Rodgers. We knew there were flaws. It gives me a little pause that this many things are coming out of Washington. I, yeah. Oh yeah. Praising Alex Smith over yes. Kirk Cousins. Yeah. But my my point being is is from what Collar said, it sounds like that that there's these shots being taken at Cousins by people in uh, Washington. And then Cousins gets up to the podium here and takes subtle shots at the people in Washington. Yeah. So I, it's not like Washington has knows? their stuff figured out, right? No, and who knows? If a guy leaves the if if a guy leaves the Seahawks or the Steelers, well, Seahawks are maybe a bad example now, but if uh you know, if somebody were to leave the Steelers and and, and but Washington's not a stable organization, so no, that's why not. I'm so conflicted here. And Jay Gruden and Gruden took shots at Cousins. I I just don't know hmm. if if this came if this came from an organization that that had a lot of respect and cachet behind it. I might take it a little bit more seriously. Yeah, and there could be something here. I've just seen this unfold before because training camp is so long and so boring, and storylines run out so quickly. This is just such an obvious uh, storyline. And keep in mind, too, there was a long time where a lot of people bashed Smith. 
There was a long time where the San Francisco word on Smith was, he's not that good, he can't win, Doesn't he, take he, can't, he can't throw deep. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of carried that baggage to Kansas City. Yeah. And at first you, you heard some of the same things in Kansas City, and then that changed. So I think the important thing with Cousins here is is you got to give it time to see how he adapts and adjusts to. And his life is, is different now. I mean, he can no longer bank on the on the I'm being franchised and thus my coaches and team doesn't believe in me because he's got a big contract here now. So his life has shifted, and I am curious to see how that changes for him. Uh, but the dyna- the dynamics of going from team to team, there's always a lot of assumptions about you from your previous team. And I've gotten to the point now where I, I have serious doubts about how true so- – how true that can be necessarily. Yeah. I mean it's like it's not it would be one thing if it was reports with sort of anonymous sourcing that you could maybe misinterpret via the game of telephone. Right. But it's actual guys putting their name on this stuff that makes it a little more interesting. Something to watch. I think you're mostly right. It's uh it's a lot of camp fodder, but it's it might be something to watch. And sometimes a new environment can just if if you're that bitter toward an organization, how likely are you going to be to be a great leader too? Like, are you if you're that bitter and you don't like your front office, you don't like the ownership, and you sort of resent the coaching staff, are you really going to turn around then and be this great galvanizing leader for the team? Or are you going to be halfway out the door? So that's my defense of Kirk Cousins. All right, let's talk Twins, Dan Hayes. Let's project going forward here when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Guys that can make a difference. Guys that can give you that spark. Guys that give you something just a little bit different. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, with the man who's in the clubhouse covering the team every day. Beat writer for The Athletic, Dan Hayes. Dan Hayes. All right, twins actually looking to win a series today against the Cleveland Indians. They can they can take two out of three from Cleveland and inch closer. They are st- I guess they are still, uh, in their minds, they're trying to fight for footing in the American League Central, but... Um, Dan, what are your main takeaways here as the dust settles and the and the twins go into, you know, barring a miracle in the last two months here, transition mode into the future and and try to figure out what they have for 2019 and beyond? What are your takeaways? Well, first of all, let's let's change that intro to say guy that covers what's left of the clubhouse. Right, um, <laughs> guy who's left to pick up the pieces. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I honestly I, I think that what they did generally was the right thing to do. I mean, we've been talking about it, how inconsistent they've been for months. And you just got to do this. You, you have to rip the Band-Aid off. It was, it, it's painful. It's not fun. The players really aren't happy. Uh, but honestly, you needed to do this. You needed to go this direction. You knew you weren't going forward with this team. It just hasn't happened consistently. I know teams can get hot. I just... You, you look around and things just continue to happen that make you think this isn't going to go that way. And, and who knows? Miguel Snow could be a real big shot in the arm coming back here and being healthy. But your pitching hasn't quite been on the same page at the right time. Lance Lynn finally really looked good the other night in Boston. He gets traded the next day. But he'd been so inconsistent. Jake Odorizzi has been inconsistent. Uh, Kyle Gibson Barrios has had a few little starts here and there where he, he isn't quite on all the time. That's just being a young guy. Something just kept kind of coming up to remind you that it wasn't in the cards for this team as it was constructed. And I think that the front office did a good job of reading those signs and and just saying, look, we can do something good for ourselves for the future. And 
and basically they did. I mean, I, I think that when you think about how hard it is to trade a position player, and this especially a rental position player, they were able to trade two. They didn't get anything that blows you away, but I mean, they got as much, if not more, than the uh, than the Tigers got last year for JD Martinez. And yeah. I mean, that just gives you an idea of how difficult it is to trade those guys in season. Relievers, you're getting paid for. That's why they traded Ryan Presley, and they've probably got their best two prospects back in that one deal. Um, but you know, I mean, they they've just filled out the system, and and talking to their guys and talking to people throughout baseball, it, it was. The words for position player rental market were extremely difficult to navigate, and somehow they managed to trade two guys and get something back that actually might be useful down the road. So I did, think when you think about all those things, what it means for the future is a good thing because they didn't trade anybody away that really is around for a long time. And, and when you look at that, they're just saying this year didn't work out. They're not saying that this is going to be the way they're going, and, and that's a good sign for the future. So, Dan, players are upset, but do, do you get the impression that deep down they re- realize this is largely their fault? Like, I, I, don't understa- I don't understand, and I wrote this, I don't understand the mentality of, of, of Brian, for instance, before he got dealt, always saying, you know, it's 162 and you got to give us a chance. Well, okay, Brian, that's, that's all well and good, but you gave us three months of crap. So do you think the players get the fact that this is on them? I, I think to a degree, but I also think that they looked at it as they were dealing with a series of obstacles that, uh, you know, nobody looks at the fact that they, you, you talk to players, they're not going to make excuses about what went on. I think that they thought they were continuing to fight. I mean, look, I think this is more on the stuff that, that's occurred around this team. I mean, you can't, you can't make up for the fact that Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton played about 30 healthy games right now together. You can't overcome an 80-game suspension. I, I don't know that, you know, yes, it's on the players. For There's no question in some regards. But at the same time, what they've lost is impossible to make up for. And, and I don't know that there's any team that has enough depth to go over that. So I can understand why players I, – I don't know that I totally agree that it's on the players the whole way. It is to some degree. But, uh, you know, there's just been bad luck, and that does matter. Uh, when you, have, when you have 13 wins worth of players from last year producing, or I think it was 12.2 wins of players producing uh, a combined minus 0.7, and that's Polanco, Sano, Buxton, uh, Irvin Santana, all of whom were injured or out, and Logan Morrison. So underperformance from Logan, underperformance from Lynn, Dozier didn't perform. Um, yep, there were other guys that stepped up and, and made this look more palatable, Gibson, Rosario, um, Jose Barrios, um, the, the way they performed and, and took a, a, a leap really helped. But, you know, this team's been shorthanded all along, and I think that the players should share a little of the blame, but they can't share all the blame. It's just it, sometimes this stuff happens in baseball, and that's why, you know, you can build the best team on paper, but unless you have depth to back it up, uh, you're really not going to – do much if, if you run into these kinds of issues. Except for, for the fact, if I'm a player and I've pulled my, my weight and done my job, I am furious at Polanco and and Sano because, Dan, those are choices. I mean, Polanco cheated and got caught, and, and Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton, I give a pass to, I'm disappointed, but I give him so, somewhat of a pass because I think he he really cares, but he's been hurt. And and the fact that, that he can't hit is not for lack of trying. When it comes I, I to Miguel, Miguel no, I, I think Miguel tried. To, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, really? I, I, I don't like, think he did. Things, 
I, hey, he, you, you're told to sit for two months. He came back. He worked. I, you know, and and you can see the work he's put in in this six weeks. I mean, when you see him in the clubhouse, that he looks even better. But but the work has been there. You just he had some unfortunate stuff with the ankle, where he's just sidelined for two months. Now, could he have probably taken care of himself food wise better? Maybe. Right. I mean, he probably got bigger then. But at the same time. You're told not to have any activity at all, so your off-season's kind of shot, and you have to make it up in a small period, which which they felt comfortable that he did. And then, you know, he's on the borderline at that point, and then he comes back, gets hurt, and another four weeks sideline, and it's gone. And, you know, that's it is a problem that he got to that, you know, that stretch where he was that big before. I think he knows that. I think he knows how where he used to go, but it's not like – there's anything to disprove what he was doing before it was wrong. I mean, he was an all-star a year ago. It's hard to say, Miguel, you need to get in you know, better shape than you are at that point when he's in the, the all-star game you know, in July and then has a good couple weeks leading up to the injury, and then he's just out. I mean, it, it, I, it, it's a, he got himself to this point, but it, it's really hard to, to get him to go in the other direction until he sees – that he can't do it. And I think that he responded really well when he saw that he can't do it because he looks great right now. And I think that that'll kind of drive him for a little bit here. He's got to do it. He really has to follow it up this offseason. But you're right. With the Polanco, you should be mad. I think players should understand that. But Irvin Santana, that's just kind of bad luck. Um, you know, it just didn't get any better. And, and Buxton, like you said, it's been disappointing. But that's just a series of strange occurrences and bad luck. It's it's hard to pin this on players when it's been such critical parts that have gone down and not produced anything. Dan, is there a scenario, best-case scenario, in which they compete for the division in 2019? Is there enough of a core left over to, to build around, whether it's guys getting called up or free agents that you supplement with? Absolutely, I think so. I mean, I just think you need to get guys that are going to be committed and here for more than a year and um, you know, you can mix those guys in. There's no question you can get a one-year guy, and it'll work. But I don't think – I think they kind of look at it as maybe they got too many of those guys and, and too many guys who are thinking they're only here for the short term and um, kind of – I don't know if it was looking out for themselves, but just you never know how committed that's going to be. And I don't know that that was a problem. I just think Lance Lynn got such a rough start that he was probably questioning it at, at times. But, you know – he he came in and he had to learn everything on the fly and you can say all you want but until you your catcher figures you out um, until you are comfortable with that catcher until you you know have everything down I it's a it's a tough spot to put a guy in and I think that if they're going to augment the roster it's got to be a couple of free agents that are longer than a one year guy uh, they took advantage of a really good situation and you can't fault them for that but I think they probably learned something out of this too and. Um, it's a great free agent class. There's some guys out there, and you have a good core. I, it's really going to depend on what we see out of Sano these next two months. It's going to depend on what Buxton, if he can come back and show them they can get back on the field. But I do think that, yeah, this team's still here. would have seen Kyle Gibson traded if they didn't think they had a shot next year. Um, it, it made sense to keep him. They obviously kept Rodney. It's possible now that he'll get his option picked up. 
So I, I do think they're thinking realistically 2019. I'm actually pretty surprised that Lance Lynn was able to fetch Tyler Austin and a promising 19-year-old pitcher in return. I mean, ty, ty, I mean ty, I'm not going to say Tyler Austin is the next uh, number four hitter in the middle of a lineup here, but he's a guy who started at first base for a month and a half for the Yankees and has pretty much conquered every level of the minor leagues so far. He's only 26. He's not that old. Uh, so I, that, that's an interesting piece. I, I think the Twins being creative, uh, you know, taking Logan Forsythe back, most definitely helped the Dodgers with their their salary and and allowed the Twins to get probably better prospects back. And, you know, it's funny, the Devin uh, Smeltzer, I think, I, I can't remember, the, there's 11 kids, but the, the left-handed pitcher, I had two teams reach out to me and say, you know, we really like that guy. Uh, one team said that they, they flagged him for, for his track man thing, uh, his track man, and, and he spins his slider extremely well and has a really great changeup. Um, that's a 23-year-old guy. He's a fifth-rounder. He's not on any top 30s, but they were able to get him as the number two guy in there, and then they got the, the Rayleigh kid, uh, Nick Rayleigh, the outfielder. I think he's the Dodgers' 18th prospect. I think by being creative and being willing to take on salary, I think Lance Lynn, they ate about $2.25 million of that salary. They were able to get some different interesting things back, and, and Austin is certainly a guy that we could see in September and have a shot. And you know, I mean, you always talk about that DH and the – the power off the bench, and you know, it, it, potentially that's a guy that could slot into that and and give you a really good right-handed hitter. We've seen this team have trouble with left-handed pitching over and over, and that's not a bad option potentially uh, if he pans out. Your best guess on a trade trade yet, yet to come if uh, they get guys through the waiver process, Dan? Um, I mean, I, I could potentially see Logan Morrison heating up um, a little bit, and maybe somebody. Wants, wants him. Um, if Addison Reed's healthy, although, you know, we saw 90s again last night on the, the velocity. I, he's got another year, so it, it's possible. But I think they did a lot of their trading right now. Um, they got so much done in those five days. It was, it was very impressive for them to uh, get it all done. And, and it, it was a painful couple days in the clubhouse. I mean, those guys are, are pretty crushed. I mean, you, you saw some really popular guys walk out in, uh, in Escobar and Dozier, long-term, long-tenured guys, and Ryan Presley's been here his whole career. So I think that uh, the players are pretty worn out. Paul Monter's a little worn out, but uh, I, I, they got so much done, they may have gotten all of it done. Yeah, Great stuff, Dan. Thanks, thanks, Dan. thanks for the recap. Right, we'll, we'll catch up next week. See you at the yard. Alright, guys. Thanks. All right, Dan Hayes from The Athletic. You can read his stuff, subscribe, and, and find his wonderful Twins coverage. We can open up phone lines for uh, Doogie's coming in here at twelve thirty, so we're going to get questions in at some point. But we had the Twins vent lines open for an hour earlier in the show, and we had people mad. We had people who agree and understand the moves. If you have thoughts on the Twins deciding to trade Brian Dozier and Eduardo Escobar, bring them on six five one six four six eight two five five and eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. You know, we got this TV staring us in the face here too. We've got a TCL 4K Roku TV with a built-in Roku device that offers 4,000-plus streaming channels and 450,000-plus TV show episodes and movies. And anywhere you go, whether it's a local retailer in the Twin Cities or whether it's the Internet, go to Google. You're finding rave reviews all over the place about TCL TVs. There's a reason why this is America's fastest-growing TV brand and one of the largest Best TV brands in the world right now. 
Uh, truly excellent image quality and the best smart TV system on the market is what someone just said on CNET. Here's a review, I believe, from PC Magazine. Impressive contrast and color performance paired with a wealth of connected features. Again, go online, just Google TCL TVs, read the reviews for yourself. They speak for themselves, and you'll have the same experience we have here every day in the TCL broadcast studios. Mackie and Judd. Uh, Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Bland, half-baked, disrespectful, overexposed, not worth your time. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. This portion of Mackie and Judd is presented by Fred Loney's Ace Hardware and Garden Store, proud sponsor of the beer show. Thank you, James. Again, phone lines are, are open. We had we had full phone lines for like an hour, just twins vent lines. So I know there's people that didn't get through if you... Or if it's a totally new audience and you are mad at the Twins or uh, you agree with the Twins, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the, the recent trade deadline moves here. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. And I'm, I'm curious if people agree with me or with Dan because I don't think the players can be excused here. And, Absolutely and, and not. I'm sorry. Some guys got hurt, and I get that, and mm-hmm. I'm not faulting them. And Buxton... I'm frustrated with him, but I'm also empathetic to the fact that I really think he works hard. And mm-hmm. and at the plate, he just can't get it right. I think he thinks too much, and and he gets hurt quite a bit, it seems like. Okay, so I don't fault him. I'm frustrated there. But with Miguel Sano, I'm mad at him. Mm-hmm. I'm mad at him. He was an all-star last year, and and I get that he got hurt late last year. And I get that they had to put a rod in his leg. Dude, you're a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. You have your career in front of you. You are an all-star major league talent. And you're going to go and sit on a couch and eat bonbons and then come off the couch and weigh two or weigh 295 or 300 pounds and you're going to tell me what was I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, these are major league teams with professional people and facilities that you can go to who will say, "Miguel, we'll keep you in shape." I'm mad there. Polanco you cheated. You cheated and got caught. I'm mad there. I mean, if I play for this team and I work my ass off, there are guys in that clubhouse who I am looking at right now and saying, you are directly at fault. Yeah. And those are two guys who are directly at fault for the demise of this season. And now we're left here in Miguel Sano's fourth season. He's 25 years old. And we're literally like celebrating a double to the gap in a game in which the Twins are eight games out in the standing. So we go, oh my God, look at him. He's it's a double. We're celebrating oh, he the fact 20 he's, pounds less. Yeah, we're, like, we're celebrating him being in shape. We've lowered our bar so much. The guy that I'm really curious to see now, because we're pretty sure Jorge Polanco isn't on some performance-enhancing drug, right? Like The guy got popped for 80 games. <laughs> my not. guess is he's not back on something. So watching PED-less Jorge Polanco for the last two months is going to tell us a lot about who he is as a player. Because mm-hmm. you could build a case, if you're looking at his career path, and he, and they started his clock when he was 20 years old because he got he got called up. I think they had to put him on the 40 man roster regardless. So like his his clock started early because he signed when he was so young. Uh, but he he bounced up and down for three years. He was out of minor league options uh, after or during the 2017 season somewhere in there. So in his mind, he's thinking, man, if I don't start to perform. I'm not going to be part of this organization anymore. I'm not going to be the starting shortstop, and this might be my last chance to be a starting major league caliber player. And he was terrible in the first half, and all of a sudden he flips a switch in the second half of the season when his back's up against the wall career-wise, and millions of dollars are maybe on the line going forward. 
So you could make a really strong case that desperation to perform at a higher level led him to put something in his body to increase his ability to perform, right? Well, what what are you going to be now? Like that that's the question. What right. are you going to be? Are you the starting shortstop or are you just a guy who spiked his performance yeah. sort of artificially? Um, yeah. and, and so far, the jury is out. He's only played 24 games. He's had 100 plate appearances. He hasn't hit a home run yet. He's batting 275. He's drawn some walks, which is good, but the power is not what it was last year. So I don't know. We don't, we don't really know what he is. I'm pretty confident he's going to be good enough to at least hang around and be a, a utility player at worst, maybe starting shortstop until Royce Lewis is ready to come up here at the end of 2019. Um, but to your point from earlier in the show, the only position was it your point? I think it was your point. It was chips. Maybe it was chips. But like Eddie Rosario is the only guy yeah, right now that you can said. definitively say yes. position player wise. Yes. Yep. We know what that guy is, and we know where he's going to be. Yep. Kepler, I think, is going to start in the outfield, but we don't really know. And Kepler, Kepler is getting a big time pass now because Sano and Buxton have been such busts. Yeah. If that hadn't happened, we'd be looking at Kepler right now, saying, "What's happened the past three months?" But we're not because because the, these two guys who we were sold on for so long are so there. There's problems here. But once again, I don't. I'm frustrated that Kepler is not performing better. But I think he is trying. This is what I want. I want you to try and not cheat. Is that a lot to ask? Is that yeah. too much to ask? I mean, Miguel Sano, try. You've got the talent. Six five one six four six eight two five five. Mark, you're on Twins Vent Line. Hey guys. Um, I was just calling in. I mean, I, I don't think I'm saying anything new than what anybody else has said or what you guys have said, but I, I, I just still find it hard to believe that people are putting the onus on the front office with this because this, this past off season, before all this happened, we were looking at this team on paper and all the signings that they made, and we, we, were, we were clapping, and it, everybody was so, so happy with it, and I was too because – you're locking these guys into these very short-term contracts that's basically saying, like, you know what, if this thing goes awry, which it did this year, we can reset the, we can reset everything this offseason. We're taking Maurer's contract off the books as well, too. If we bring him back, it's not even going to be close to how much money he's making. So we have so much money to spend out here. And you know what? If people are tired of hearing the wait, wait, wait for guys like Royce Lewis now and for Alex Kirloff, then you know what? They're doing their best that they can. Like Fab Levine was saying earlier, we're looking at the at the present and also the future, and we're trying to make those decisions. And you know what? They did that this year, and they're going to do it again next year as best as they can. That's a very level-headed Thanks, call. Mark. Thank yeah. you, Mark. You're too very rational level. right now. You're supposed to be more upset about things. Yeah, call back when you're angry. Yeah, get mad, get mad and call back. <laughs> yeah, he's right. Um, yeah, Jorge Polanco... In he's almost to a thousand career plate appearances, and he's just you know he's kind of a guy, two sixty seven, three twenty seven on base, give you a little power here and there, a couple doubles once in a while, and plays an okay shortstop. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm I'm really curious to see him over the next couple months. Let's do some questions here. And by the way, phone lines, if you guys want to chime in, 651-646-8255. James, what kind of questions do you want to hurl at us before we get to Doogie in about a half hour? We're going to have an MLB trade deadline edition of questions of significant importance. Nice. And um, we'll get to Dan's call here. Twins vent line and questions. And Doogie with a little scoop midweek. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh. 
That's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN. Yeah.